You know, an American man invited his friend to church with him one Sunday. This friend was from the slums of Cambodia. And as they sat there and listened to the message from the preacher, the minister talked about how there is apparently a rash of folks in our culture who have a winning lottery ticket but don't know it. Apparently, there are several people each year who buy a lottery ticket and don't know that they have the winning number, and so they never cash in. And the preacher says, this is like you guys sitting in the audience. He said, y'all are the ones who have a winning lottery ticket, and you've never cashed it in. Making reference, of course, to this idea that God is just waiting to bless you with riches and health and and, and longevity in life, and material blessings. The man from Cambodia sat up in the pew while the man from America slumped down. Because imagine this man from Cambodia going back to his village and telling his people, look, it's not because the government took our land and evicted us that we're poor. It's not because of oppression or exploitation or anything like that. It's just that we don't have enough faith. And if we just believe harder, all of us can be rich. Unfortunately, that is a message that gets sold in our churches far too often. Joel Osteen stated it this way. He said, maybe Alzheimer's disease runs in your family genes, but don't succumb to it. If you'll rise up in your authority, you can be the one to put a stop to the negative things in your family line. Start boldly declaring God is restoring health unto me. Kenneth Copeland, a disciple of Oral Roberts, one of the original prosperity preachers, claims that there is something wrong if a Christian doesn't become rich. He said, I am a billionaire because the assignment that the Lord gave me. He said, I want you to begin to confess the billion flow. On one occasion, Mike Murdoch, on his television audience or his television show, begged his television audience to donate $1,000. Murdoch said that God would erase a donor's credit card debt if he or she would donate using a credit card. He said, and I quote, As you use your faith, God is going to wipe out your credit card debts. I've got some other quotes from some other preachers. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I am not one to bash other religions or denominations from the pulpit. I don't believe that that's my place. I don't believe that that's productive. But I will stand up all day 
and condemn those who preach a gospel that is not found in the Bible. And I will call out the Joel Osteens, the Mike Murdochs, and all of them in the world for what they are conveying and what they are doing, which is preying on the poor people of our society to further their financial gain. Anything that can be said about the gospel should be able to be preached anywhere and everywhere in the world. If it is found in the Bible, if it is biblical truth, it should transcend all cultures, all time, and especially when it comes to the gospel. So try going and preaching the gospel of prosperity to someone living in Rwanda or Ethiopia or war-torn countries where the people there have been oppressed by the government, where people are living on the streets and you say to them, you know, you could get out of all of this if you just believed more. If you just had more faith, you wouldn't have to deal with all of this. Folks, it's absurd. Worse than that, it's unbiblical. And it's got to be stopped. We cannot think this way. We cannot preach these types of things. Daniel was a devoted Israelite, yet he hardly lived a cushy life. We learn from Paul that he prayed three times for this thorn in the flesh to be removed from him. And God said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. Didn't matter how hard Paul believed, God gave the answer, and it wasn't in accordance with God's, uh, wasn't in accordance with Paul's will, I should say. And we know that Paul spent his entire life enduring one hardship after another. You look at Hebrews chapter 11, especially verses 35 and following, and it says, Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground and all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect so wait a minute stop here and look at this these men and women were applauded for their faith and how again were they rewarded by death they didn't receive their reward in this life. They received something far greater. They were rewarded with financial destitution, uh, mistreatment, persecution, even death. None of them received what was promised, at least not in this life. This is a far cry from the notion that faith fixes everything. And this certainly isn't the prosperity gospel. Following Jesus does not guarantee a life that is completely comfortable and convenient, doesn't mean you'll never get sick and doesn't mean that you will fall into riches following jesus is about preparation for the next life that's it that's what it's about and so whatever lot in life you attain whether riches or maybe poverty whether sickness or health whatever it may be it's about following jesus and preparing for the life that's after this one and so if you come to Christ expecting life to work out perfectly for you, you're going to be sorely disappointed. And you're probably going to have some anger at God. Benny Hinn, another prosperity preacher, and I use that term preacher very loosely, he has a nephew who recently wrote an article for Christianity Today. 
And in this article, he states, growing up in the hen family was like belonging to some hybrid of the royal family and the mafia. Our lifestyle was lavish, our loyalty was enforced, and our version of the gospel was big business. Though Jesus Christ was still a part of our gospel, he was more of a magic genie than the king of kings. Rubbing him in the right way by giving money and having enough faith would unlock your spiritual inheritance. God's goal was not his glory, but our gain. His grace was not to set us free from sin, but to make us rich. The abundant life that he offered was eternal. It was now we lived the prosperity gospel. And Hen's nephew goes on to talk about his wife and how when they first met, she couldn't speak in tongues. And this bothered him to the point that they almost didn't get married. And yet one day she plucked out a verse from the Bible and read it to him, 1 Corinthians 12, 30, which reads, All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. I was shaken to the core, Hen's nephew said. He said that there it was, plain as day, not everybody has to speak in tongues. Soon the domino effect began. Other long-standing beliefs were, falling the, uh, were failing, I should say, the biblical test. No longer did I believe that God's purpose was to make me happy, healthy, and wealthy. Instead, I saw that he wanted me to live for him regardless of what I could get from him. To believe that, that faith is some sort of magic potion or magical elixir that will fix anything in life shines the spotlight squarely on us. And if there's one elementary truth that we have to understand and get right from the very beginning, is that it's not all about you. It's just not. It's not all about your comfort and convenience. It's about preparation. It's about being ready to go home when you die. Or if Jesus comes back first, God does not exist to serve you. It's quite the contrary. You exist to serve God. That in order to be a true follower of Christ, you deny yourself, you pick up your cross daily, and that means that your health, your wealth, your comfort, your convenience, they are not top priority. The fixation should not be on us. The fixation should be on God. You know, my friends, a thousand years from now, it's not going to matter. All those things that you tried to fix with positive thinking, all that stuff you collected, it's not going to matter if you're a child of God. This is not about how good I can have it while I'm here on planet Earth. This world is not my home. As you know, this is a temporary residence. We don't belong here. And so in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter if I'm healthy and wealthy in a physical sense. All that truly matters is that I have the abundant life that is found in Jesus Christ. I know you know this passage, but let me repeat it. It's in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. It wasn't about money for Paul. It wasn't about health, longevity. 
It was about one thing above all else. And that was knowing Jesus. Having a relationship with him. It wasn't about a clean bill of health. It wasn't about what God could do for him materially. It was about one thing. And it was about knowing Jesus. And that brings me to another major point. This problem of the prosperity gospel or the fact that faith, you know, this idea that faith cures all the ills or faith fixes everything. You know, not long ago I was watching a, a special on ESPN that was focusing on Frank Martin. Frank Martin is the uh, coach of the South Carolina basketball team. And a couple of years ago he had an improbable run to the Final Four, a team that never should have gone that far and was not expected to go that far, made it to the Final Four. And Frank Martin is a, a very passionate, very uh, boisterous coach on the sidelines, but also as a man of faith. And he's telling his story about when he got sick and he didn't know what was going on. He was losing weight. He couldn't eat. He was dehydrated. They checked him into the hospital. Doctors ran all sorts of tests. They couldn't discover what was wrong with him. All the tests came back negative. And so one doctor came to him and said, you know, it could possibly be pancreatic cancer, but we don't know. So he looked up pancreatic cancer on, on the internet and read a little bit about it and didn't like what he read. I mean, he knew that based on what he read, he wasn't going to live very long if that's what he had. But they didn't know for sure, and so he's laying in a hospital bed without any answers except, you know, a, a, a suspicion that it may be pancreatic cancer. And so he's lying there asleep, and his uncle is by his bed with his head bowed and praying for Frank to get well. And his uncle says he feels a, a, a touch on his shoulder, and he looks up, and there's this Asian woman in scrubs who tells him, Frank's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And the next day, Frank was better. Nobody knows why. The doctors can't explain it, but he all of a sudden got better. And so they try to track down this Asian woman in the hospital, and the hospital is telling them, we don't have anybody that fits that description. And others have come forward saying that they have had an encounter with this woman in scrubs who fits that description, but they've never seen her again. And so they're passing it off as this angel from heaven that came to heal Frank Martin and to heal others. And, and I'm sure you'll never convince Frank Martin or any of those others that it wasn't an angel from heaven disguised as an Asian woman in scrubs. But here's my, here's my conjecture. What about all those people who have died in that hospital? What about all the folks who have prayed to get well and they weren't healed? They died. You know, I have seen it. You have seen it. We have had people on our prayer list. Churches have special prayer services, maybe all night candlelight vigils to pray for someone to get well, and they don't, they pass away anyway. Is God not good? Why didn't God send an angel? Why didn't God heal them? Does God not care? You see, we're treading on very shaky soil when we assume that God is always going to step in and he's always going to fix it as long as I believe hard enough. Paul had this thorn in the flesh that he prayed three times that God remove, and God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. When Timothy had a stomach ailment, Paul told him to take a little wine for his stomach. He didn't tell him to go to a healing service. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but guess what? Lazarus died again. 
Job suffered because God had a much bigger picture in mind. Although Job didn't understand it, God had something else in store. The erroneous teaching that God will heal every malady as long as you have enough faith leads to disappointment in God. It leads to disillusionment in God. And it can lead to guilt and anger and maybe even giving up on God. And you say, Chris, but what about James 5, 13 and following? Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. What about that? Certainly James's words give us great hope in the power of prayer. But was James saying that every time we offer a prayer in faith that he's going to restore the sick. Every time we offer a prayer in faith, God's going to restore the sick. Is that what James is saying? Yeah, in a sense, yes, that's what he's saying. When we're talking about a spiritual sense, yes. But I think we have to include the physical in this a little bit as well. I think the context lends to that. So is he talking about the elders healing where the most spiritual men are called upon? To pray for one of God's people? Or is he talking about providential healing? What's he talking about here? I tend to assume it's talking about a providential healing, but that's not really the point I want to get into. I read this and I ask myself the question, will God heal every sick person if they follow this protocol? And the answer is no. Reality dictates that. I mean, we can see it in everyday life, right? I have witnessed firsthand, and you have as well, individuals who were very sick. Our elders prayed for them. Others prayed for them. And sadly, they didn't get well. Healing didn't take place. The best doctors, the most righteous people prayed for their healing. And it didn't happen. So what do we do? Well, when we pray, we put a disclaimer on our prayers, don't we? What is that disclaimer? God, your will be done, right? Your will be done. While James 5, 13 through 15 is a favorite proof text for the faith healer, we, we need to understand that unconditional language does not equal unconditional behavior. Let me say that again. Unconditional language does not equal unconditional behavior. Jesus stated, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Or Mark eleven twenty four, Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. This is unconditional language. Ask me anything and I will do it. Pray with faith and it will be granted to you. Always, all the time, without exception, whatever the request. Is that what Jesus meant? Sure looks like it. So if I pray that the Lord heal my dying relative and they end up passing away, what is the logical conclusion? Either I didn't have enough faith or God didn't follow through on his end of the bargain. Is that what Jesus intended for us to take away? Such statements are promises, but they're not like magic spells. 
these are statements designed to encourage people and to give them hope, but they, they are not designed to subordinate God's will. God doesn't intend for us to turn off our brains when it comes to studying God's word. We have to be logical and reasonable, and he doesn't expect us to throw logic and reason out the window. Logically speaking, if God were to heal a person every time we prayed that they would get well, what would happen? They'd never die. They'd live forever, right? The very essence of prayer is that we acquiesce to God's will, not that he acquiesces to our will. Our sovereign God is always in control. He always knows what is best for us, and his answer may not be the answer we want or expect, but it's always the best answer. Why did Oral Roberts build a hospital? You ever wonder that? When I was living in Cassville, Missouri, we had a few occasions where some of our members went to Tulsa, which was only about a couple hours down the road, to the Cancer Care Center. And as you go down, I don't, I don't know if it's Yale Avenue, which one it is, but as you go down that avenue, on your left, you can see the hospital, and there are those praying hands out in front, huge praying hands out in front. And I wonder, why, why did Oral Roberts need to build a hospital? You know, it's been said that at one of his healing services, a little girl was hit by a car in the parking lot. And that the parents scooped her up and brought her back inside. And you know what Oral Roberts told them? Call an ambulance. Why? Because when we read about the gift of healing that was, that was given to some that we read about in the, in the New Testament, those who had that gift, the apostles who had that gift, they weren't limited. They weren't limited. I mean, they could heal anything. By the power of God, they could heal anything. Not only that, they could raise people from the dead, right? And I've always said, you want me to believe you? Raise my grandfather from the dead and I'm all in. I will follow you wherever you go. But until you can do that, I ain't buying it. Plus the fact that they, if they were really concerned about all those who needed healing, they wouldn't be charging for it. They'd be going around and doing it, wouldn't you think, as much as possible? And this isn't about your level of faith. Because I can show you in the New Testament scriptures, especially John chapter 9, where a man was blind and he was healed by Jesus. He didn't even know who Jesus was. He didn't have faith. And Jesus healed him anyway. So it wasn't a mark of faith. That wasn't always the prerequisite as far as receiving healing. So that's erroneous as well. All of this is bunk. It just is. People sometimes ask me, do you believe in miracles? Yes, absolutely I do. Don't leave here tonight thinking that Chris does not believe that God cannot do anything. Because I do. Wholeheartedly, I believe that God can still perform miracles. I'm not ever going to put God in a box. Neither should you. He can do whatever he wants to do. However, I think we need to be careful about putting all of our eggs in that basket. Because, like it or not, a sad truth, a sad reality is not everyone is healed no matter how hard we pray. And everyone is going to die no matter how hard we pray. Can the miraculous happen? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I've talked to doctors where, you know, someone goes in as a patient with very little hope 
of being well or making it through the surgery, and they come out and they're fine. I've even heard the doctor say, that wasn't me. That was God. That wasn't me. Sure, I believe in miracles. Why would we pray if we didn't believe that God could do something? And if my wife or one of my kids was on their deathbed, I'd be praying for a miracle, and I'm sure you would too. But we've got to be careful putting all of our eggs in that basket and believing that if I have enough faith, if I just pray harder, if I just believe more, then God is going to fix it. That's placing the focus in the wrong direction. This life is about preparation for the next. Here is a prayer that I have been praying recently that is the hardest prayer that I have ever prayed, and I would encourage you to pray it as well. And it's a hard one. If this life is preparation for the next, and what we read from Paul is that, Everything else in life doesn't matter except knowing Jesus, being prepared when he comes back or when we leave this earth, right? So try praying this prayer. Dear God, whatever it takes to make me more like Jesus, to get me closer to God, so be it. Because I want to be in heaven with you someday. So whatever it takes to get me prepared for the next life, Bring it. Do you understand the ramifications of that? Do you understand whatever it takes, what that might include? In sickness or in health? If I'm dealing with, with cancer, but that brings me closer to God, and that prepares me for the next life, I don't pray for cancer. If I, if I go through struggles, though, in this life that, that draw me closer to God, without a doubt, suffering can bring us closer to God, can it? And so if I deal with suffering, and that brings me closer to God and prepares me for the next life, then that's a good thing, right? The suffering itself is not, but it's a good thing that results, right? It's a dangerous prayer to pray, but one that I think may be beneficial to us all. God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to bring me closer to you, so be it. Because that's what this life is about. Preparation for the next. And instead of always putting our eggs in the basket of faith, fixing everything, and believing that as long as I believe in God hard enough, and, and as long as I have enough faith that I'm going to be healthy and wealthy and, and all of those things, let's be like Paul and say, you know what, all of that is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. Because in the end, that's all that matters anyway. Faith doesn't fix everything. We wish it did, but it doesn't. Faith doesn't fix everything. But faith that is fixated on God and His promises does. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for another day. We thank You for this time that we've had together. God, I love Sundays, and I love Sundays with our church family. And I pray that as we leave here tonight that we go out in full faith and trust in you that whatever may come our way, we use it as an opportunity to draw closer to you and to help others around us. God, we pray for Addie and for her family at this time. 
as they're going through a difficult struggle and the loss of her father. Please be with them. Be with Addie. Help us to rally around her and to, and to be with her and to comfort her as much as we can. Such a difficult thing to lose your father. Help her through this. Help us to help her through this. So many, Lord, that are struggling, so many that are dealing with difficulty, we pray that it helps, that we can help them and that they can draw closer to you. We know that those things aren't good, but that good can result. Help us, God, to prepare in the best way possible so that when we leave this life, we can be with you for all eternity. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. David's going to lead us in a song, if you have a need tonight that we can help you with, we are here if we can pray with you. If uh, you'd like to study the Bible with somebody, let's set that up. Do not leave here tonight without being right with God. Come as we stand, as we sing.